You are listening to New Life The Fort. We believe your vision will be expanded and your heart enlarged. If you are blessed by this message, write to info at newlifethefort.com. So today I want to tell you a love story. Is that okay? Okay, it's only okay for a few people. That's fine. I'll speak to you. But it is Valentine's Day. How many of you have ever been in love? Ever, huh? I'm not saying right now, just ever. No, it's okay. Are you in love now? Is that why you're not raising your hand? If you're in love now or if you were in love before, raise your hand. Okay. So you all know what it feels like to be in love. And you all have, I'm sure, a story about that love, whether it turned out good or it turned out bad, right? Well, praise God, our love stories in Christ all turn out good. And so this story begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wait, pastor, you're, that's the Bible. Yes, because that is the ultimate love story. God wrote it page after page after page, using men to write out his words so that we could see the ultimate love story. But it does begin in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, when he began to create the universe. He did it because he loved. Because at the end of that creation, he was doing it ultimately for his prized possession, for man, his prized creation. God wanted to have such a relationship with man that he created everything for him, set everything in place. Now, contrary to popular belief, God wasn't lonely when he created man, nor did he need anyone to worship him. He didn't need anyone to worship him. He had the angels doing that. He didn't have to create man to do that. And he wasn't lonely. God is a three-part being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not lonely. The Bible also says that he is love. He is love. Presently, for all eternity, he is love. It's his nature. It's his character. It's his expression. Love. So because he is love, he so wanted to love on someone, he created man. It was his desire for man. And so that's how our story begins, that God created everything for man. Now, in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, New Living Translation, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Imagine that. When God sees you in Christ right now, he sees no fault. He sees no wrinkle. Amen. Yes, thank you, Lord. You know what it's like? It's like God is the eternal Photoshop. Wrinkles are gone. You look young. Everything is chiseled. Thank you, Lord. Chisel me now. But he chose us so that he could love on us. And in his love, we're perfected. In his love, he, there's no fault finding. He sees us blameless, even if we made a mistake. He doesn't go, it's your fault. He goes, come here. Let me love you. Let me make you whole. Let me heal you. 
So even before he created anything, he loved already. And he didn't just love Adam, he loved you and me. Because he created everything with us in mind. Now that's amazing. Because however old the universe and the earth is, God already saw you before that. And he wanted to make sure you had a wonderful place to call home. And so this is what he does. He creates everything, and then he puts man in the midst of the garden. And in the midst of the garden, he teaches Adam how to name all the animals. He spends time with Adam. They fellowship. They have relationship. Because God's all about relationship. But in this relationship, God says, it's not good that man be alone. Now imagine this. God of all the universe tells man, you're alone. Now, not for anything, Adam probably had no idea what it meant to be alone. He didn't have any idea because he was with God all the time. And there were animals. So for him, he was okay. But God saw that he wanted to lavish his love on someone else as well. And I also believe that he was teaching man how to love. Really? It's easy to say, I love a dog. You don't have a, really a relationship with a dog. But how do you teach someone to have a relationship by putting somebody in the picture? And so I believe, although it's not written there, I believe, my personal opinion, when God created Eve, it was to teach Adam how to love properly. Love the way God loves. And so you have now Adam and Eve walking with God, and everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the contrabida comes in. In this story, you have another man. Another man comes into the picture and destroys this relationship that Adam and Eve have with this loving God. This other man knows how to say the right things knows how to entice, knows what's going to get the attention of Adam and Eve and makes them begin to doubt their relationship with the one who loves them. His question was, did God really say that you could eat of anything in this garden? But how about that tree? See, the reason he doesn't want you to have that tree or eat from that fruit is because you're going to become like him. So at that moment, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are like, so I guess God doesn't really love us if he's withholding from us. Now, what did God say? Everything in this garden is yours. Just don't eat of this tree. Now, why did he do that? Because love always involves choice. Always. God wanted Adam and Eve to love him by choice. Not because he forced them to love him. Not because he programmed them to love him, but because they had a relationship with him and they just loved him. But since that other person came into the picture and said, oh, God doesn't love you because he's withholding that one tree. Everything else he said is yours, but that one tree? See, a lot of times what destroys relationships when we believe that somebody's withholding is not giving us their all. Right? That's what happens. 
whether it be in finances, whether it be quality time, whether it be, you know, a personal presence, there's always something. We always feel like we're missing that one thing. And yet you have everything. So you have this guy or the, the enemy pointing out, this is what God is doing. So what happens now? They partake of the fruit, they eat it, and all of a sudden, their eyes are open and they realize that they're naked. All of a sudden, they now decide, oh my goodness, what did we do? And now there's a separation between God and man. Now the interesting thing is, is that God didn't separate himself from man. Man was the one that did that. And we can see it in the word, in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, it says, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, do you know the footsteps of the people that you love? Like if you were in a room and, you, and you, the door was closed and you could hear footsteps, would you know if they were your loved ones? Yes, you would. Because you spend time with them. They knew what God sounded like walking in the garden because this was something they did often. God had relationship with them, so he would make himself known to them every day. Do you know that God makes himself known to you every day? In Christ, you have unbroken fellowship and relationship with him. So you can talk to him anytime. You can hear him anytime because he's talking to you all the time. I believe God is very talkative. He's just like me. That's why I'm made in his image and his likeness. He does talk a lot. And he makes sense when he's talking. But he's always talking because until you do what he's asked you to do, or until you step into what, he's, what he said to you, then you can't receive it all. So he continues to speak and speak and speak until you do it. Because God's heart is that you get everything he's prepared. So you have Adam and Eve now hiding. And God goes, Adam, where are you? God of all the universe, I'm pretty sure he knew which tree that Adam was hiding behind. He knew it, but he wanted Adam to know exactly where he was. He wanted Adam to understand the decision that he's made. Now, it was very easy for Adam to say, God, I'm here, but I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And God would have just simply said, come here. Let me take care of you. But what did Adam do? He goes, when God goes, where are, where are you? He goes, I'm naked. We can't come out. And God goes, who said you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And instead of saying yes, he goes, the woman, it's her fault. Now, if I were Eve, I would have just looked at him and said, did I force you? Did I stick a gun to your head? But that's me. I'm sure Ad Eve was very calm and collected. But you have Adam saying that, 
And ultimately he says, the woman you gave me. So he was blaming God. He was blaming God for the decision that he made. See, it's your fault, God. You gave me this woman, so now I messed up. And then the woman said, it's the snake. It's the serpent. See, the Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I know that women can be hysterical and historical, but not here in New Life the Fort. We are women who keep no record of wrongs. And the men say, amen. I will keep myself to that thing I just said as well. Because Pastor Alvin is not here, I will keep no record of wrongs. So you have them playing the blame game. Your fault, your fault, ultimately, it's your fault. Instead of taking responsibility for the decision that they made. Now, the great thing about God is he didn't stop loving them because they made a mistake. He knew they couldn't stay in the garden anymore. And sending them out of the garden was also because he loved them. Because they couldn't stay in that, that broken state. That's why they couldn't partake of the tree of life. So he sent them out because he loved them. And he didn't send them out naked. He could have very well said, well, it's your fault, you guys. You did something wrong. Go the way they are. But God doesn't leave us the same way even when we make a mistake. His love covered them. It is the first time that you hear of an animal being slain and the animal's skin being used as covering. God was the one who covered Adam and Eve. He covered them that with something that was acceptable to him. Not with fig leaves that they tried to sew together. But he was the one that did the work. And he was the one who covered them. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers and it protects and it loves. Even that means having to send them out. But even while they were out, God was still around. God didn't stay in the garden and say, well, see you later. No. When they left, he went with them. Now, why do I say that? I say that because Adam and Eve had to have taught Cain and Abel what it meant to sacrifice. Because you read about Cain and Abel sacrificing, bringing an offering to God. So that means that they were aware that there is a God. And I'm sure Adam and Eve were telling them all the stories about having walked in the garden with him and the things that they were doing. And so they were able to come and just offer a sacrifice. But God, because he loves us, is ever-present. Ever-present. So you have now this separation, or man thinking that they are completely separated from God. And yet God goes, I am closer to you than you think. So they come to this place, and I'm going to call this the boyfriend chapter. Because in this boyfriend chapter, a boyfriend is temporary. It's not a husband yet. But he gets you to a place where, oh, I like this. You now have relationship with someone. There's a closeness. There's a certain amount of intimacy. You can only go so far 
in this boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, quote-unquote. Because there are lines that are drawn. So what is this boyfriend chapter? It's when God instituted the tabernacle. When God told Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle, and you need to build it to the exact pattern or copy the exact pattern that I showed you on the mountain. See, what was this all about? God wanted to be so with his people that he made a place called the tabernacle of meeting where they could meet. They could have relationship. They could have fellowship. And yet there were boundaries to it because only certain people could get there. Only the priests were allowed to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies. But see, he wanted to be with them so much, he put himself in the center. The tabernacle was the center of all life. The tribe surrounded it, but you found the very heart in the center of it. When Solomon built the temple, it was also in the center. All of life revolved around that. Why? Because that is where the temple, where the presence of God was found. And this is God saying, I want to meet with you. I want to be amongst my people. And so he has this tabernacle made. And it's for us to know that there is more to it. He's not satisfied with just being a tabernacle. He wasn't satisfied with just having this meeting where only the high priest could go in. He wanted everyone to have that opportunity. But for everyone to know what they were missing, that's why we have the boyfriend. If we look in Ezekiel, Ezekiel says in, in verse 43, 10 to 11, message paraphrase, the son of man, tell the people of Israel all about the temple so that they'll be dismayed by their wayward lives. Get them to go over the layout. That will bring them up short. Show them the whole plan for the temple. It's ins and outs, the proportions, the regulations, and the laws. Draw a picture so that they can see the design and meaning and live by its design and intent. What is the intention of a relationship? It's supposed to lead to marriage. It's just not meant to be boyfriend and girlfriend. So young people and older ones who happen to be in that type of relationship, I ask you why. Because if you are not headed towards marriage, why are you in that relationship? I leave that to you. Because God's ultimate design and intent was for us to recognize that we wanted more out of the relationship. And more than us wanting that relationship, God wanted that relationship with us. See, the tabernacle was built to specific specifications because it was pointing to one way and one way only. It was pointing to one person, to Jesus. In Colossians 2, Verse 17, New Living, it says, For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. 
He wasn't content just to be there and have these boundaries where we have no access to him. He gave us Christ, so we had full access to him. In Christ, we have full access. We can come as we are into the throne room of God, and we can see him face to face. Because as we look unto Jesus, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So as we look upon Jesus, we see the Father. And what is he showing us? His love for us. That his very heart for us was to be one with us. His permanent fix to the problem was to marry us. To become one with us. Jesus said, as the Father and I are one, he wants us to know that we are one with him. It was that important to him. And so we have Christ, who is this reality. And how did he come? How did he offer his hand to you in marriage? In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love, his own love. Not love the way we think we know it, but his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were down and out, when we were sleeping around, when we were broke and broken, Christ died for us. He was stretched out onto a cross. His arms outstretched. His arms outstretched to you. So that it really was, will you take my hand? Will you take my hand in marriage? became our choice to receive this. See, back to choice. Love is a choice. We have all those wonderful feelings. How many, how many of you have ever been kilig? Really? Maybe 20 people in this room. At some point in your life, you've been kilig. And it's such a nice feeling. It's you're just all tickled inside. Tickled pink. And you're just so excited to be with that person. God was so excited to be with you. You know, we were singing earlier about, I am yours. We're declaring I am yours, but God said first, I am yours. If God didn't give himself to us, we would not know what true love was. We wouldn't. We'd have no idea whatsoever about what love was. We had to see it displayed. In Titus 2.14, New Living Translation, it says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Every kind. It didn't say maybe a few. Every kind. You can think of a sin. He's already freed you from it. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer bound. In Christ, you are free. To free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us. He didn't, free, he didn't just free you from sin. He cleansed you. He gave you a bath. When we were so filthy, he washed you. He took care of you. And to make us his very own people. 
He was the one who made us his own. When we stepped in and we believed, he made us his own. Another version says that he made for himself a people of his own possession. There is nothing more precious to God than you. You know how I know that? Because he gave you the most precious thing to himself, to him, his son. So really what he was saying is, you're more important to me. Individually, you are more important to God. Corporately, you are more important to God. He gave his best. He paid the ultimate price. See, when he marries you, when you marry someone, you are to give yourself completely to that person. It's very sad if you marry someone and on that day you say, bye, see you later, see you maybe in two years. No, when you marry somebody, you are with that person. And you give of yourself completely. You give of yourself emotionally. You make a choice. You even give of yourself completely with your body. And God wants that for us too. Why? Because in that place where we give of ourselves completely, you end up being full of life. In Ephesians... 317 to 19, Wu's translation. It says that the Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts through your faith, through your believing. In love, having been firmly rooted and grounded in order that you may be able to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know experientially the love of Christ, which surpasses experiential knowledge. Why? Why does God want us to so experience this? In order that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. Last week, we were talking about fullness. God wants us so full of him. And when he, when he gives, he gives of himself completely. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't withhold from you. He gives everything to you. Our part is to receive it. Our part is to say, okay, Lord, thank you. Because when we receive the fullness of who he is, then we now begin to expand and enlarge to the fullest potential, to our God-given potential. Without him filling us up, we will never get there. But he wants to fill us with all that he is so that we can become all that he already sees us to be. That's why it is so important that we are in love. We are grounded in love. We are secure in love. Because in love, you will become exactly who he has already said you are. We come in line with what he already says or who he says you are. 
Because sometimes we don't believe it. Because we mess up. We make mistakes. And yet God just loves us anyway. And when he loves us, he cleans us. And when he loves us, he fills us. And when he loves us, he enlarges us. What happens in an intimate relationship with someone? Fruit. It happens. But it was a choice to be intimate. It was a choice to give all that you are. You know what I love? Is that when we want to give to God, God goes, I'll give you what you want to give to me. I shared this earlier. When I was little, I used to go to my parents at Christmas time and I would ask them for money so that I could buy them a gift. I don't know if you ever did that. But I would go and say, Mom, Dad, can I have some money? And they'll ask me why. And I say, because I want to buy you a gift for Christmas. And really, it didn't matter the amount because my parents would go, how much do you want? And to a child, a child has no concept of how much things cost. 50 pesos is a big amount. So if I said 50 pesos, I would work with my 50 pesos. I'd buy paper and paints and draw a card. But for my parents, because of whatever they gave me, I would give it back to them. Not necessarily in the form they gave it, but with the heart that was full. And the more that I gave to them, the more they would give to me. But see, the giving started with them first. They were the ones who gave to me because I had nothing. God gives to us first because we have nothing. In fact, I will go as far as to say we were nothing. But God made us something. And he gave us the something we want to give back to him. And the more we go, Lord, here, I just love you. I'm giving back to you. God goes, okay, let me pour on more to you. So the fuller we become, the bigger we become, the more we give it back, he gives, that, he gives more. And the more he gives more, the bigger we become. And it's this wonderful cycle. It's a love feast of him just giving and us receiving and us giving back and him pouring out more. That's what he wants because he wants us full. In Ephesians 5, I love this chapter, 22 to 28 in the message paraphrase. It says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. To cherish something, it has to have value to you. To cherish something, you have to give your love toward, to it. So you read here that the way a husband is supposed to provide leadership is not by forcing it, but by cherishing and loving. Because when you know that you're loved and you trust that person, you are willing to go wherever they lead. Wherever they lead. He goes on to say, so just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now, wives, if there are wives here and soon-to-be wives, those that are believing, I speak to you already. Submission does not mean you blindly follow. Submission simply is this, that you trust where they're going, and even if you don't see eye to eye, 
you may not, you trust God more than you trust your spouse. And you say, Lord, if you put this man into my life, you're going to lead him to where he needs to go. And you're going to lead this family. So more than just trusting your husband, you're trusting God by submitting. Submission also means you can state your opinion. That was my vow to Pastor Alvin. My vow was this. I will submit to you after I have stated my opinion on the matter. And like Pastor Alvin says, I have kept to my vow all these years. But you have a voice. Women, you have a voice in a relationship. Because God speaks to you too. And we just pray for the, for the men who are our husbands, for the men that God will put into our lives to be a husband, that they hear clearly from God as well. It's accurate and precise hearing. But it goes on. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. Husbands, go all out. Out. All out. What does that mean? Give everything that you've got. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the whole the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk and radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. Now, Pastor Alvin said this, men, you need to learn how to be a wife. And the reason is this, because Christ is our husband. And when you learn how to be a wife, then you will be able to love your wife well. Because a husband can only give what he's received first. And it's the same for the wife. The wife can only respond to what she has been given. So as God has given us his all, it's for our benefit. It is to bring the very best out of us. You know, not for anything. We can give God our all. But really, he's already at his best. But it is his love and us spending time in that relationship, in that fellowship, that causes us to become the very best that he's called us to be. But I love how God is not just satisfied with just marrying us. It's not just enough that he marries us. The word talks about how he gives us a home. He gives us a family. You know, he didn't just give us a home. He made his home in us. The Bible says that we are like living stones built up into a holy habitation for God. Each and every one of us become a stone that is built upon one another so that God can be in our midst. The Bible says that we are being also built up a spiritual house. Why? Because in a house, you can make it a home. And in a home, you are accepted. You are loved despite your mistakes. In a home, you are giving and receiving. 
In a home, there is healing and there is rest. In a home. And yet God is saying, when I come in, not only do I take full responsibility for you, not only will I lead you, but I'm going to bring you to a place that you're secure, a place where you'll find rest, a place where you'll grow, you'll be nurtured and nourished in that place, in that home. But God doesn't stop there because he doesn't just bring us into a home. When you marry someone, you marry their family, good or bad. So I pray that you really like your in-laws. In fact, I'll change that into your in-loves. Pastor Alvin calls my mom his mother in love because there's no law that keeps us together. It's only love. I said, that's right, honey, preach it. So I pray that you really like your in-loves. See, God puts us into a family. The Bible says that we become part of his body. The universal body of Christ, the church, which is composed of all believers. Now, all the believers in all the world cannot fit into this space at all. And yet God puts us into this place, into his body, as he sees fit. The Amplified says, to the best adaption. He tailor fits you into that place, into his body. Why? So that the world can see who he is. What is his body? It's the church. A church that speaks and acts on his behalf. The church is meant to display, the Bible says, his manifold wisdom. It is meant to display all that he is to a dark world, to a lost and dying world. The church is meant to show life and to give life. I mean, we just don't see a head floating around. If you do, pray. And you don't see a headless body walking around. But there is power in unity because the head tells the body exactly what needs to be done. The body will move to the left because the brain says so. The head says so. The body will reach out to touch someone because the the head said so. It will embrace someone because the head said so. So God puts us into this family, his big family. I'm going to call it his extended family. And yet even in that place, he brings it to a smaller group of people. Your immediate family. Which I'm going to call your local church. New Life the Ford is a local church. And God has brought you to this place Because it's a place where you're going to grow. For some of you, maybe you're visitors. And I'm glad that you came. I pray that when you go back to your church, you have that same heart. God brought me to this place because he's going to cause me to grow. And he's going to cause me to bear fruit. But even in New Life the Fort, in this locality, in the BGC area, we have smaller groups of people. We call them life groups. 
And these life groups are meant to nourish a relationship, nurture a relationship so that you know that you belong to something bigger than you. That you are not lost in a crowd. But God has put you into a, into a, into a family. See, God takes care of everything. He takes care of the marriage, the provision for it, takes care of where you're going to live and who you're going to be connected to. If God is a God of relationship and he wants it with you, that relationship is expressed to other people. Jesus said this to his disciples, people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. It's hard to love everyone. That's why he brings it into a smaller space, smaller place, so that you have the ability to get to know people and love on them the way he loves on them. Because he is teaching you how to love people. Because not everyone is lovable. It's just true. But even the most unlovable person God loves and knows how to reach. And he might use you to do it. And I'll end with this. In Ephesians. Two scriptures. Ephesians 3, 17 to 21, Amplified. And then we're going to go to Philippians. It says, May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, and abide. Make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Why? That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him, who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above, all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, thoughts, desires, hopes, and dreams. To him. See, when God works in you and he can work through you, the glory will be given to him. To him. Be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. We say amen to it because we say, Lord, I say yes to your proposal. I say yes to your plans. I say yes to your purpose. When you marry someone, you marry all of them. All of who they are, all their plans, where they're going, you marry that. And you head in the direction of that person that, that, that person is headed. Because it aligns with what you see for yourself. But it is his love that draws us into that relationship, into that place. 
It is being in love. Being complete and whole in love. Being secure and stable in love. That we're going to find the fullness of all that he is. And I want to end this with this prayer for you. In Philippians. This is what I pray over you today. I pray that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital, what is of life, and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best, and distinguishing the moral differences, and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with heart sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling, nor causing others to stumble. May you abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness, of right standing with God and right doing, which come through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, to honor and, and praise of God, that his glory may be both manifested and recognized in your life. May your love just begin to spill over. May the love that Christ has put in you and the love that you receive on a daily basis, may it begin to compel you and move you to change the situations in the world that are the darkest and the most broken. That when you come into a place, his love brings a wholeness, a completeness. That you experience his love first and thus giving what you have out. But as you give out, more and more and more is poured into you. More and more is given to you. And, thing, and things work out for your favor. And that through your life, people will be drawn to a loving God. Not one that is angry where they, they want to stay away from, but one that is loving with arms wide open that welcomes them and says, come in. So I speak that to the people here at New Life the Fort. To every man, woman, and child. That they not only do they love much, but they love well. And they are accurate. And that they are precise. And that they are ever giving. Because they know that this love will never run out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I'm going to give an invitation. There's some of you here that are, new, that are first timers. There's some people that have been coming. But this love is for you. God loved you so much, even when you were of no use to him. And yet he still gave 
his very best for you. That's how important you are to him. And all you have to do is receive the gift that Jesus is. Because when you receive Jesus, you receive the very love of God. He comes in to reside on the inside of you. And love will transform not just you, but everything around you. So if you happen to be here and you want to receive that gift, whether you're in the cinema or on the fourth floor, by the count of three, I'm going to ask you to quickly raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for raising your hand. Anyone else? Thank you for those hands. I believe that even in the fourth floor, there are people raising their hands. You can put your hands down. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. Love speaks. And our way of receiving is by speaking. So repeat this after me, and the congregation is going to repeat this as well to help you along. Jesus, I thank you that you loved me so much. You willingly gave your life for me. Today, I accept your proposal. Today, I am yours forever. As you are mine forever. I believe that nothing and no one can ever separate me from your love. Today begins a new day where I will see, I will live, and I will express your glory. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit us at newlifethefort.com. Thank you.